So welcome everybody to today's episode of the Independent Teacher Podcast. And I'm really pleased to be joined by Julia Silver. Julia, welcome to today's show. Thank you, Susan. Thank you for the warm welcome. Brilliant. Now, we're going to have a really interesting discussion because you have had a very successful career in teaching, but you're doing something very, very different now. So we're going to talk about that. But could you just set the scene for our listeners, telling them a little bit about your background and obviously your career as well? Over to you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So I am a former school leader. I was, I have five children, Susan. That's the first thing you need to know about me, which means that I had five maternity leaves. My career in teaching was a sort of hop, skip and jump. I did a PGCE in primary teaching and I very quickly um, realized that I wanted to be in school leadership. So I I went on a fast track program during that PGCE year, um, which was really interesting because it showed me what the scope of school leadership was. I qualified as a teacher, completed my NQT year, and then went off to have baby number one. And whilst I was, um, you know, juggling little people and, and finding my feet as a young mum, I was tutoring on the side. I was running small groups, um, EAL mostly, um, and also some sort of reading provision. And then I had number two and number three before I went back into teaching. And as I said, hop, skip and jump, my next role in, so I'd started off as a year five teacher. My next role after three babies was as a um, early year manager. Um, And I found that early years is just the most wonderful place in the world because you're in a facilitative role in early years and play is the provocation and you just sort of watch and observe and you really get to understand so much about learning by watching little people develop, yeah? So that for me was my best grounding in in teacher training, I would say, that time in early years. Then I went went off to have number four and number five. Um, But the next uh, jump was into my my school leadership role. So um, I live in quite a close-knit community and um, the local school, which my daughter went to, didn't have a uh, year two teacher. So I went in to be the class teacher as a sub for the summer term. And I hadn't been in the classroom for so long. And I found my voice again. And I found this sense of vocation and this sense of, you know, leaving the home and going out there and doing, instead of using my voice, felt very, very exciting to me. Having been barefoot and pregnant for 10 years, raising these yummy children, I was very excited to find my professional voice again. And I think it's useful for you to know that that's my journey because um, I wasn't a career teacher. And that means that I've always had this very flexible view of how school and and working in a school can be done. So I took the next leap and stepped right into a deputy head position. And it was glorious because, as you mentioned to me, your background is in deputy headship. I think that's the best job in the school because um, you don't have to be the tough cookie. That the, that the head teacher is, you're rather there as the interface between leadership and the people um, and also the children. And I, I had that freedom to go into every classroom every day and work so closely with the children that I knew them by their handwriting and really, really coach my teachers. And they really were my teachers. Years on, they still connect with me today, which gives me so much joy. But there was really a sense of 
learning to nurture the adults in, in order to make a change for the children. And during those three and a half years that I was a school leader, um, I was blessed with the opportunity to really raise the tide over there. And there's a legacy that I'm very proud to tell you is still in that community school where they still talk about Mrs. Silva and doing things properly. And Mrs. Silva and a growth mindset and Mrs. Silva and a great big smile. So that's my legacy in school leadership. And it gives me a, a great deal of confidence going forward to know that I was able to make that difference for those people at that time. Yeah. So it must have been quite difficult to decide to leave then because you've talked very fondly there about, about your career and what you loved most. So can you take us forward then and, and just explain why you left? I will. Yes, thank you. That's a lovely question. So what happened was this. I enrolled on an NPQH at the Institute of Education and it was a beautiful course. And I was able to meet lots of interesting people, um, especially the coach that I was given, um, Sinjin Burkett, who is still a friend to this day. Um, and when I met these people, I noticed, specifically Sinjin, I noticed that there are ways to take qualifications in teaching that actually take you out of the school building. And I started understanding the role of an education consultant and the role of these coaches who were supporting senior leaders. And I started noticing how they were cross-pollinating schools just by being able to go from person to person and school to school, having authentic conversations and actually spreading these good practices and, and sort of creating communities of practice just by being that person who wasn't tethered to the building. And I quickly felt like that was a scope that really interested me. Being able to be that person who was outside of school and able to be helpful. So I started thinking about who I could be in the education sector that would be helpful, that would be of service. And I, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, I just, I lighted on tutors because I noticed that nobody supported tutors. So I mentioned to you that when I was a young mum, I did a lot of tutoring from home and I found it really difficult, not because I didn't understand pedagogy, not because I wasn't able to get and hold clients, because as a qualified teacher in a small community, those things weren't difficult. The thing that was difficult was working in isolation. And for me, being able to create this opportunity for tutors to connect, for tutors to be able to understand what good looks like and articulate their own version of excellence, to start to build out a pedagogy in tutoring, that was an area that really excited me. So what I began to understand was that the, the fissures in the foundations of tutoring as a profession are twofold. On the one hand, the practitioners themselves are not supported. And on the other hand, their clients don't really understand them. They don't understand how to choose them, how to interact with them. And so what you have is actually a lack of organization in this whole sector of tutoring that really needs to be addressed. But as you and I know, as deputy heads, top-down change is a very, very sad thing. So rather than looking to top-down regulation and saying, this is what must be done, rather than lobbying the DfE or government to say tutoring needs to be regulated, what I've been doing over the last five years is building a grassroots movement. Because tutors opt in to say, 
this is what good looks like in our sector. Yes, this is, I will describe my practice to you, show you why, and help you to do the same. That's the collegial spirit that I'm really looking towards. So what's happened over the last five years is really that we've created a community of practice together that is constantly evolving, extremely stimulating, um, and really um, pointing towards a gentle, holistic, future-focused way to deliver education, um, which I think is a really, really exciting place to be. Yeah. So if we've got any of our listeners who, at the moment, they are teachers, they might be senior leaders, and they're thinking of leaving the teaching profession, because we know that this is a real issue in the teaching profession, wherever you are really, whether it's in the UK or elsewhere in, in different parts of the world, um, what advice would you give to them? I mean, is tutoring or maybe working with you, is that something that they could potentially do? Or is it fraught with so many difficulties that some of them will just think, you know, maybe this isn't the right direction for me. It's too risky. Um, can you can you just talk us through that? The first thing I must say is I don't encourage people to leave school. That is not a responsible position for me to hold. Um, but I think it's important to know that you have options and that the skills of an educator are transferable skills and that just as we know there is... Um, a crisis in recruitment and retention. There is also a crisis in attendance and in children who are not managing to access and make good progress in school. So if you are that person that needs to leave school to protect your own well-being and you want to repurpose your, um, your, your power and your efficacy as an educator to go to where the children are, to work closely with them, to be able to nurture them and rebuild confidence. I, I feel like there's a certain element of, um, of, of rehabilitation for learning that tutors really do. If you're that person, you can really make a massive change through tutoring. So as, I, as we've discussed, Susan, the banner that I use for the events that we run is love tutoring. And the reason why I talk about love tutoring is partly because as a mum, I know it helps because it takes a village to raise a child. As a student, I know that it helps because you can go right to where the child is and you can adapt your pitch and your pace to make sure that you're responsive to their changing needs. But also, as an educator, you can actually build a career that you can really love through tutoring. So you can tutor one-to-one -one and you can tutor in groups. You can tutor during the day, international students or alternative provision, and you can tutor after hours, children who are after school. You can tutor on the weekend, you can tutor online or in person. There are so many delivery models for the tutoring profession. And I like to talk about it as a flexible and fulfilling way to be an educator. So I spoke with a tutor this morning who's got three young kids and she's working for an online school at the moment. She's doing a wonderful job, but she wants to be free to take one day off to spend with her two-year-old. She wants to be free to spend the evenings with them. So there are very specific ways that she can set herself up as a tutor so that she's available for her family. And I think that what we need to understand is that school has asked too much from us for too long. 
and that we are burning out. And there is a way for us to um, to find and be the educator that we really dream of being. And what you'll find is that every tutor that you meet will give you a parallel story about where they've come from. Tutoring doesn't tend to be a first choice career. It tends to be a plan B. But what actually happens is it can turn into something really, really lovable if you embrace it. Now, you mentioned risk. And there are risks associated with going into tutoring. There are massive risks associated with leaving teaching because you're quite ensconced as a teacher. Yeah, you are hard to replace as a teacher. And therefore, although you're under a lot of pressure, there is also a lot of security as a teacher. That's a, a, a grand statement and, I, and sweeping statements. So forgive me, but I think in, in, in distinction to tutoring, you are very padded as a teacher. Now, tutors are freelance educators. We work closely with our clients all day long. The fact that you're looking for outcomes for students and that sometimes they're very easy to measure, there'll be exam outcomes. Sometimes they're very difficult to measure. So primary school tuition, it's very difficult to actually articulate what it is that this child is gaining, except confidence, except progress in learning. Um, you know, tutors of dyscalculia, for example, maths anxiety, will be working with helping children to hate maths less which is a very difficult thing to measure, but it is transformational because you can transform a child's life outcomes if they don't, you know, fall apart when they're given a, a sum to do in the shops or, or in a workplace. So on the one hand, you're making massive change, but on the other hand, it is difficult to quantify that change. On the one hand, you have the freedom to decide how you want to work. On the other hand, you don't have an infrastructure to measure you and say, well done, you've done very well. What happens is you have to opt in to those behaviors. You have to opt in as a, as a freelance professional and say, what does good look like? And participate in continuous professional development and be proactive about seeking out specialisms to serve the students that you want to work with. There are all the freedoms and challenges of being self-employed. So all of a sudden you have to learn how to be a mar how to market your services. All of a sudden, you have to learn how to handle self-assessment for, you know, uh, tax, for um, managing your finances, choosing which tech to work with, choosing which clients to take on and which clients are going to drain your resources. There are so many skills in small business, but you actually have to learn to step out as a tutor, which is interesting, stimulating, challenging. But not necessarily everybody wants to do that. The other way that you can work is for an agency or a series of agencies. Now, there have been all sorts of changes in the tax implications for, for tutoring agencies at the moment. So actually, lots of them will require you to be self-employed and then work with them. But there are other tutoring businesses, they're called, which will take you on as a full-time employee. So what that will mean is do you have the freedom to not be running a classroom but also reassurance that you have your hours booked out. So again, there are lots and lots of different modalities in tutoring, which is what makes it exciting. It's also what makes it overwhelming. And the solution to that is, of course, being associated with like-minded professionals who can support, challenge, guide you along the way. And is this way your company comes in, Qualified Tutor? 
That's exactly right. So qualified tutor is um, is a professional development organization. And we provide everything that tutors need to be safe, skilled, and supported. That means if you are working outside of a school, you don't have access to an enhanced DBS and you can apply for it through us. It also means that we offer things like certification. So the QT certification requires that you have enhanced DBS on the update service, that you have your policies and procedures in place, that you have insurance, that you have uh, verified client reviews. And then we can list you on our directory so that parents can find you. We can enable you to really be part of the, 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 the best professional practice out there because really we're at the vanguard of this change right now. Um, qualified Tutor is really, really proud to be CPD QMS, which means that we have been externally quality assured. Now, if you think about me leaving the school all those years ago, and sort of taking this leap into the unknown, I've gone through this process of working with CPD, working with Ofqual, working with the Chartered College of Teaching, really working out how to position tutoring so that it takes its seat at the table. So that on the one hand, we're recognized by mainstream education, and on the other hand, we're trusted by parents more comfortably. And that's what Qualified Tutor seeks to do. So we, we build up the tutors from the inside and we represent them on the outside. So anyone listening to this who might be thinking of setting up their own business, it doesn't have to be a tutoring business. Um, do you have any do's and don'ts for them as, as, as advice? Um, the first thing is read your head off. Because there's amazing, amazing material out there for you to read. But on the other hand, listen to your own instincts. The best coaches will always tell you that you are your best guide and that you have the answers. So I think that entrepreneurs have to be very, very in tune with their own intuition. I think you have to know when to listen to others, when to thank them for their advice and do exactly what you know to be right. And when it comes and it comes down to one thing, Susan, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Your best measure of whether you're going in the right direction is exactly that discomfort. If you wanted to stay comfortable, you'd have stayed where you were. And you know, and and I had a very lovely little office that I could have stayed in for the next until my retirement. I decided not to because I got really clear about who I wanted to be in this world. And the rest of the journey is just about staying really, really true to that. And best piece of advice you've ever been given, what would do? What would you say it was? My best friend and business partner, Odette, I have a, a post-it up there that she wrote to me that I framed that says, keep dreaming big. I've just got a couple of more questions as we're, we're coming to the end of our, our conversation. Um, the first two there is, could you tell our listeners a little bit about some of the, the sort of CPD work that you do? Absolutely. So we run CPD accredited events all through the year. We're a CPD QMS partner, which means that we accredit courses and we deliver accredited courses all through the year. I also love to go into schools to deliver workshops and keynotes for teachers to sort of remind them to breathe. So somebody told me recently that my that I make a big room feel small, which is such a nice thing to say, right? Because what I what I believe we need to do as um, those people who are outside school and able to help 
is we need to bring in that boost of well-being as well as inspiration. But I promise to leave people feeling energized, inspired, and capable, motivated to move forward. And then if any tutors want to participate in our professional development, there are love tutoring events that we run all through the year, um, online and in person and hybrid, because there are so many right ways of doing things nowadays. And we have to be really inclusive and really innovative to create the transformation that we're looking to, to, to create. Brilliant. Now, as I say, last question. How do you manage to stay so positive? Because that's what's come out of our conversation this morning, your positivity and your enthusiasm. How do you manage it? That's a really wise question, Susan, because uh, my my secret is that I don't engage with the news. I don't engage with politics. I don't engage with anywhere that I can't help. So um, I'm a disaster at a dinner table because I have no small talk whatsoever. I genuinely only know about my family and my work. It's a very strange way to live. I don't, I'm not on Facebook in the slightest. I only engage with LinkedIn. It's almost like I live in detox. I read books. Um, I'm mindful of fiction because it takes me places. Um, and I'm, I'm a reader and a writer, so I, I be careful because it's, I find it very powerful. I go through some times where I binge information and then other times where I totally stop and just try to hear myself think. Um, so, so those are the ways that I'm re I stay in tune with my own well-being and my own inner voice. And I have got one more question, actually. Uh, you talked there about being a writer. Um, have you published any books at all or are you in the process of publishing any books? And then that'll be our last question. Okay, Oaks. Well, yeah, I have a book that will be coming out with Crown House Publishing um, as soon as I jolly well finish it. I was blessed with the most unbelievable writing experience. Um, I joined AJ Harper's um, writing program, which you might be interested in. She is Mike Michalowicz's co-writer, so Profit First and all of his books. So I've been with Authors Collective for a few years now. So yes, I have a book. It's called Love Tutoring. It is helpful to independent tutors. It is helpful to people who want to understand whether or not they can have a role in tutoring. And the message of the book really is tutoring is not plan B. Julia, can I say it's been a privilege talking to you today. Um, we could have talked for much longer, uh, but it's it, it's been really brilliant. So thank you ever so much. An absolute joy and an honour. Thank you, Susan. Thank you. You've been listening to the Independent Teacher Podcast. If you like listening to this podcast, please consider giving us a five-star rating either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.